Hello and welcome to episode two of Hearsay, a podcast about justice, talking about justice with kids who study justice. Uh, my name is Toby Reed. I am the criminal justice teacher at Attleboro High School, which is a three-year program. Uh, the purpose of this is to talk to my seniors. Uh, they have been in the program for three years um, and they're graduating and they're going on to bigger and better things. And so as a way of just kind of capturing what they've learned over the last three years, as well as uh, keeping a, a record of their learning, um, we are starting this podcast. So if you already missed episode one with Maggie Skit, it has been released. Go ahead and listen to that. Uh, if you're here because you've already listened to that and you've already smashed the subscribe button, well then, you're good. Uh, today we are joined by Ms. Mirabelle Bertrand. How are you today? Great. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. So, uh, thanks for being here. Why don't you start by giving us a little bit of, of your background? Um, I'm Mirabel Birch. I originally grew up mainly in Rhode Island and to Attleboro my freshman year. Uh, oh, you moved here your freshman year? Yeah. I don't think I knew that. Um, and family, you're friends you have what, what do you like to do for fun or enjoyment uh for fun <laughs> i like to paint i like listening to music um for not so fun i work at nova as a cashier uh canova happens to be my number one pizza spot in attleboro so i'm not gonna knock it uh it's pretty good yeah no it, it is pretty good i uh I'm also a fan of, I'm not a very good painter. I am a sculptor, but I don't paint. Um, I'm not very good at it, but I do appreciate the arts. Um, so if you, so you were here freshman year. So what, uh, what made you join the program in the first place? Um, so I actually didn't go through like the exploratory, like everyone else got to. So basically I moved here and we were schedule with my guidance counselor and she had just listened to the CTE and criminal justice sounded the most interesting because I did want to be a lawyer. So. And you, uh, you joined the mock trial team back then too, right? Yeah, <laughs> I did. And you have stood behind the bar in court. Um, I liked mock trial. It was fun. Yeah, um, was but now that uh, the the law avenue is not something you're interested in anymore. No, not at all. Not at all. So <laughs> if nothing else, I've beaten that out of you over three years. What you, you. <laughs> as a wide-eyed freshman, you're like, I want to be a lawyer. And then after three years with me, you're like, not at all. Better to find out. I completely agree. Um, when I was a senior in high school, I knew exactly what I wanted to be. And this, this what I'm doing right now, wasn't it. Um, and I entered Northeastern for their criminal justice program, knowing what I wanted to do. And I left Northeastern as a criminal justice major, not knowing what I wanted to do. So um, I did learn some stuff there. And I did learn what I didn't want to do, which is super important. Mm -hmm. All right, so out of the last three years, who's been your favorite guest speaker? Um, I think, was this last? Yes, last year when we do, surprisingly, the, I just really like the guest speaker. But I just really like listening to what he had to say. You cut out there, sorry. 
um, I missed who actually it was. Um, when we got to listen to the prisoners after the fall, I liked that on both occasions. Uh, so when we went to Norfolk Prison and we heard the prisoners tell their story? Yeah. Yeah, and then when we went to Crystal House of Correction and heard their their stories? The or no? I feel like was my favorite. Yeah, uh, the Norfolk program, um, they do a really good job. Um, so yeah, they, they were a guest speaker, but they didn't come to us. No, <laughs> they can't. <laughs> they can't, and but we did go to them uh, and that, I've heard you know the same guys for a few times, and they they do they do a really good job, and uh, they certainly know how to speak and they know how to present and that sort of stuff. Uh, I don't know if they're listening to the podcast, but if they are, hello, hello. Um, what was your favorite project over the last few years? Hmm, I didn't think about this question. Um... I need a second. Not a problem. So it could be fresh uh, sophomore year, junior year, senior year. I literally forgot every single project that we ever did. <laughs> um, this read for you just a little bit. What's that? What done i don't know uh sophomore year we did the uh investigation we did the mock trial we i think the mock trial stuff. Was... i'm sorry I, 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 I talked over you i think mock trial was probably my favorite especially at the time because i kind of just got to like um because at the time it was actually in the middle of the trial that we were having the next day during that whole process we had a trial so i kind of wanted to not on more questions and confuse myself. I was a, I think what, like a 10 year old little girl. So it was kind of fun because I got to instruct everyone sort of about having to, I guess, put in the weight that they did, but still like getting to have the fun of kind of leading, which I never really. Trial, so. Yeah, because you, because you were on the mock trial team, you had way more experience than the rest of the class on that stuff. And so, yeah, I remember you uh, you did a really good job of kind of leading your group. Yeah, and I had fun doing it. And I had fun watching it. Did you guys win? We lost. <laughs> oh, I couldn't remember which, which group which did which. I think we did a really good job still. I, I'm always impressed. <laughs> uh, what are your post high school plans? Um, Planning on going to college or where right now. And I'm planning on going for psych. So for psych? Um, yeah. I'm not really sure where because there's just so for that. But I'm just excited to learn about it and hopefully leave Attleboro, leave Massachusetts. If not, that's still fine. Uh so I know you haven't committed to anywhere in particular, but if you if you could go anywhere that you've been accepted and money wasn't an option and stuff like that. Where's your number one choice? I literally hate this question. Um, I'm not gonna answer money wasn't an object because it is. It um, is. If it wasn't, probably for just really nice school, but it's ridiculous um, price-wise. But if I get into her college um, in New York, I'll probably go there. They're like number eight in psych. 
which is like crazy good. But if I get into UMass Amherst, I'll probably go there. So I have like, those are like my options right now. Um, my wife is a UMass Amherst alum, so. Nice. <laughs> Not for psych, but it's a good school. <laughs> it is a good school. Uh, so what topic did you say you were interested in, as far as like justice? Um, I chose um, mental health in prisons. And why did you pick that? What, what's interesting about that to you? Um, kind of going back to my favorite um, guest speaker, hearing about them, I got to ask them like how they felt like they were treated, like in regards to uh, their and it didn't seem too good. A lot of people were just like struggling with physical disabilities, mental disabilities that they didn't have many resources to go to that. And a lot over the summer thought about even becoming psychologists in prisons because that's very needed, that's always needed. And I think it's really a rehabilitation that people don't take into consideration. Um, so do you, th and you know, I, I don't expect you to know the answers, but like, do you think that mental health uh, issues are exasperated by prison or made worse? Um, um, actually, I do have some statistics here that I can kind of read off and explain like my opinion. Sure. Um, so the statistic, I think it's from, give me one second. From prison policy says that um, one in four prisoners um, experience serious stress, which kind of could lead to, that could show that maybe they weren't experiencing these things before and that they're being brought because of their like horrible environment. And I think that even without looking at the statistic, you can just, when we stepped in those prisons, it just didn't seem like a place for human beings to be able to get better, to lead, to like be taught to be able to go back to work. Because though it's not like perfect here, it's a lot, we have more resources and people to talk to, even if, I don't know, but yeah. I don't know if that answers the question. Well, so it goes a couple other places. So do you believe that rehabilitation is an essential part of the corrections process? Um, essential, yeah, but I think that it's something should be case by case because there are some crimes that, can I give example? Please. Like a pedophile, like I don't think that can be rehabilitated. Even, I don't know, like I just, I guess I just try, like believe in people that they can, that there is hope for everyone or a majority of people. And I just don't, I think a lot of the reasons that people are in prisons are because of poverty, because of untreated mental, undiagnosed mental illnesses, which is something I'm focusing in my 20 uh, You cut out again. I believe you said you're focusing on that on your 2030 project. Yeah, my 30 project. And the 2030 project is the class with Mr. Hodges and Mr. Riley. 
So what are what are you doing on that project? Um, so basically, we're trying to just extend resources for students, and even like just because you don't have the mental illness doesn't mean you have mental health. Like everyone goes in for checkups every year for your physical. That should still be a. It's still something to be aided for your well, I think. And so that. And we, I want to get back to the rehabilitation thing, um, but because you just mentioned mental health, do you think that there's a prehabilitation? Uh, um, I just say, especially in poorer communities, having like good counselors around in schools, be less policing in schools, um, just having good influences in that where there aren't influences or even just like normal regular like Attleboro just having those resources even so that involving themselves in gang activity using drugs just I think it's overlooked a lot and almost seems like a privilege when it's not and I think that, like, if you can just get to the root of the problem bef before there is a problem to even handle, then you're just eliminating so many, like, horrible things that could happen, potentially. So is fighting mental health at even, uh, let's take an elementary school level, uh, do you think that that is a crime prevention strategy? I think so, yeah. Because when you... I remember, I'm not sure if the saying that you can tell how far a student will go by the time they're in like third grade. And I think that that's horrible. People should be able to change and grow. Like there's no way, like, I just think that if that's how it's determined, then we should see those kids that have the extra help and really try to work with them and maybe get them to talk to me or like just have someone to talk about, find them, like healthy outlets that they can use, if it's art, music, if it's or anything. Yeah, I, uh, let me see if I can find it real quick. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, I think it was you that said really sure. Yeah, I remember reading it in a, uh, a book and being horrified by it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I thought I had access to it somewhere, but uh, I wasn't prepared to pull this particular quote out. Um, I think it was worse than you're thinking. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't have the quote here. Um, I think it was something like they could determine which children were going to drop out of school by the time they were like two years old or something. And they had like 70% accuracy. Yeah, based on like the, a, a lot of factors about the parents. Right? Like, so parenting was huge. It, it, it had less to do with, you know, you as a, as a, as a formed individual, it had to do with 
how you were raised and the and the and the stuff like that. So, you know, the trauma that little kids go through um, manifests itself in other ways, and some of them lead to criminal behavior, whether that's drug use, whether that's actually getting involved in crimes and that sort of thing. So, you know, is and to your point, I don't think it's like it shouldn't be predetermined, right? Like, yeah, or I think there should be room for people to grow and change and, and get help that they need. And so if we can spot, if we can, if we can identify high at risk kids by the time they're two or three years old, we should be able to dump some resources onto them, right? Yeah. <laughs> because like, there are people who don't need those, the resources necessarily. Need it as much, yeah, I think like, so. Yeah, like there are people who, based on their background, don't need the resources that somebody else might need because of their background. Also, like when you use the word need, like, I think like, for example, free health care, like some people can't afford, can't afford it, but you should be pouring money from the government, in my opinion, to the kids that can't, don't have the luxury of being able to pay for a psychologist, a therapist, or any any kind of person in that field. Ooh, sorry, I, I felt a burn there. <laughs> uh, so is free healthcare a crime prevention strategy? Yes. Because you think if people are healthier, uh, seeing doctors, getting mental health, they are in a position where they will do less illegal stuff. Yeah, because when you, even like mental health, obviously I think is important, but like when you think about it, if someone's seeing a doctor, they're healthy, they're able to work, they're able to like give back to society. That's the same way with mental health work as well, I think. And so how do we do that? Um, like for me, for example, this makes me kind of sound like a hypocrite, but I think that I should, like, eventually I'm going to go to college, I'm going to get a degree, and let's say I continue with my path of psychology, I think that I should be paid for the job that I do, and that, but that doesn't mean that people shouldn't have access to what I do, or what I will do, I guess. So I think that it has to come from government funding. There's no like other way really around it. So I guess that's the logical answer. I'm not really sure how you even get people to go to these things because you have to want to change to get help. You have to need to know that you need help to get help. And that's a whole other aspect of it. Yeah, and that brings up uh you know, a whole nother can of worms, right? Like, how do you get, like the people who need, and let's go to rehab now, right? So let's go to rehabilitation of people by providing them with mental health in prison to reduce recidivism. How does, how do we get people to want that? Um, I don't think everyone will. But there are definitely those that do. And literally, like this sounds so dramatic, but like the day that we went on that field trip, that literally changed the course of my life. 
because there obviously there are people that want it if there are com- people complaining that they don't have it and that there should be more and I don't know like I think that not everyone's especially the people that need it the most might not want to receive that but you can even have incentives along with it like I know with the rehabilitation like can't you get like an education through things like that I don't maybe it has maybe not incentivized but like the incentive is getting free healthcare essentially so it's just gonna have to come down to whoever wants it or not and programs like the ones we saw what was the prison that we went to Norfolk programs like in Norfolk um obviously it was a very small percentage of that population but if you can change one person's life I think that's like worth having that resource there if they want it obviously uh, so two things. One, so what I'm hearing is I destroyed your desire to be a lawyer, but I caused your desire to get into psychology. Yes. <laughs> I will take that. I will take that All as right. a um, Do you think there's still a, a stigma with getting mental health? Yeah. Especially, I'd say, and like, I can't speak for the entire Black and immigrant community, but I'd say that you're seen as kind of weak or privileged if you even think about because it's not a physical illness so you can't show that you're mentally ill <laughs> but so it's i'd say there's a stigma at least i've seen and i i am not an expert i did not do any research for this uh, but i do feel like there would be a stigma in a place like a prison yeah. Where if you're seen as weak, that's bad. Yeah. Um, and if, oh, go ahead. Um, even seeing the, I remember the first time I went to look at this, seeing the number of people that said that they experienced serious psychological distress. I don't think that that's accurate at all. I don't think it's one in four. I think it's four in four. I. I think especially maybe in mid prisons you can get into like toxic masculinity and things like that people wanting to prove that there's something that they're not and honestly it's life or death you kind of have to prove that you're a certain way but if you break that down for everyone i think it's it'll help and more people will want that help and even that one person out of four you can be doing so much better for society if you will just change that one person so and so you know obviously there's some pretty big social barriers here, right? Like there's, I think there's a stigma. I think there's a funding issue. I think there's a, um, there's a societal issue. Like, you know, if, if, and I use this example uh, earlier, but like if you break into my house and steal stuff from me, and the reason you're doing it is because you're, you have mental health issues and you're trying to self-medicate and all that sort of stuff, and they arrest you and then they give you the therapy you need to get better, how do I feel as the victim of that crime? Um, I mean, maybe that person, like if that was like a traumatizing experience, because I imagine, let's say, someone harms you in some way or something like that, you can also 
get access to those resources too. And I, I understand where you're coming from, but from my perspective, I'd feel better knowing that it wouldn't happen to someone else because that person got help. And yeah, I'd be upset, whatever the crime was that happened. But, and I get that not everyone has that perspective, not everyone else too, but I guess that's just how I see it. Mm -hmm. Knowing that you're creating a safer environment, even for your kids or your neighbor, that's a good feeling, I think. And so if we look at society as a, as a whole, that we should be making policy that makes society safer. Yeah. Even if that makes and me- Also criminals, yeah. What do you mean? Like part of society, we have criminals. And it should also have resources for them as well. So. So we're not like, do you think prison should still exist? You don't want to hear my opinion on that. <laughs> Why are you here if I don't want to hear your opinion? Uh, I think that the criteria should be different. I do think prison should still exist, not the way that they do. You don't think locking people in cages is an effective method of punishment? Maybe they won't change. No, no, no. Maybe not. Well, hey, you're, and I'll, I'll let's jump to this right now. You are the future of the 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 country right like you're going to fix stuff so uh you know if you have opinions don't be afraid of them so mm -hmm. what would you see as an alternative um i think for example like one of them i don't think this is radical at all but i don't think people should go to jail for using drugs or Something like that. Um, I don't think that crimes that are directly involved with poverty should be criminalized. Like if you're stealing for bare necessities, I don't think that that's something that should land you in jail with a pedophile, potentially. But then there are the outliers like, you know, murderers and people like that, rapists, horrible, horrible people. Those are the people that I don't think can necessarily be rehabilitated. But I don't think that those, like, you shouldn't be classified as the same type of person at all. A malicious person and a person in need are two different types of people and we're grouping them under one umbrella. I don't think that that's okay. But to, to your point, and, you know, you mentioned murderers. Everyone we talked to at Norfolk Prison had killed someone. And there are reasons that directly lead from poverty. I'm sure a lot of those guys were, I, I remember one of them saying that he was part of a gang. Why do people join gangs? Poverty. Why do people join gangs? Drugs, needing money, poverty. Like they're just, it's different, it's different classifications. Even they're just like subdivisions of even the classifications that you already make. Like, I'm just gonna bring up Twitter. I saw something on Twitter, someone saying that all people that kill their rapists should be out of jail. And I completely agree with that. 
and that's I would say more radical. Those people are murderers. Yes, they're criminals. But then, what does it say as a society that we're putting victims in prison? That was just an example. <laughs> yeah, but isn't there, to go extreme, isn't there an argument that almost everybody in prison is also a victim? No, <laughs> I don't think so. That they're not a victim of possible poverty or mental health or abuse or... They should get those resources, but that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be in prison, I guess is what I'm saying. Because, I don't know. I just think that systemic issues that you can't control will most likely make an issue of your life. Agreed. And I don't think that you should be punished for that, is what I'm saying. But if you, I guess, for example, you one of the prisoners, I think his story was that he basically was super privileged, had nice family, nice home, everything, and he decided to drive drunk. You're not, to me, that's someone that is deserving of what? of where you are. Like you had all the steps correctly placed for you and to decide to just do that anyway, I don't know. And I remember just being in awe of his story because I heard of, I heard the other guys talking and I felt so horrible because they came from such horrible places. Like they almost had no chance, honestly. Yeah, some of them and don't. For you to and I think he mentioned something like, there's no racism in prison. I'm not in prison and I can, I know, I promise that there's definitely racism in prison. No, I prison is a utopia. Sure, of course. Uh, yeah, but, and once again, to, if he was privileged and he had came from a good family and all that sort of stuff, like if he were an alcoholic, Right, like if he had substance abuse problems, would that be? And that's something that I I thought about. I knew you were gonna bring that up, but I'm glad also, I'm <laughs> when you have the resources to, and I'm not blaming like alcohol. Like people can be can have perfect lives, they'll become alcoholic. But when you have the resources to go get help. Have family members that can help you, but if you have the monetary, like ability to go get a psychologist, go to rehab, anything like that, and you're like, I don't really care. I'm gonna get in the back of a car. I still have, I can still show sympathy, but also recognize that what you did makes you a selfish, horrible person deserving to be what you are. But isn't it a f weird, fuzzy line? Oh, for sure. And even saying that, I felt kind of weird. But it is my opinion. Like, I think it's, that's why I said it's case by case. Like, it, there's no black and white to it. It's not like, oh, poor people good, rich people bad. It's very, very gray. But I think that there are 
I guess, bad people in prison that need to be in prison and should be kept there. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, and once again, I may be, and you use the word, I may be able to empathize with what got you there, but I still believe that you should be mm -hmm. there. Exactly. And so the, the big question I think is who gets to decide? Like, how do we as a society have a case by case justice system that doesn't end up being racist or classist or anything else? I don't know. I guess we have to we have to just change a little by little. It's not like one day it's all going to get better. But and I think we're working now on it. Dr. King said that the arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice. And I believe that we are working towards it. I don't believe that we have a unbiased, perfectly fair system. I do think we're working towards a better system, right? It's our goal. Um, and so, you know, should we have a system that's based on equity or equality? Um, I'd say equity because not everyone needs the same things. You can give people what they need. And, you know, like, for example, if you want to use white privilege as an example, like giving white neighborhoods the same resources that they probably already have as like poor, let's say, black neighborhoods. Or, if, I mean, there are poor white neighborhoods, but let's say a rich neighborhood just in general. That's not necessarily helping. That's just keeping the same balance. But I guess now you're giving a little bit more. Where I think you know what I mean. I don't really know how to put it into words. But it's like that picture with the blocks, that short guy and the tall guy. Yep. I'm, yeah. I'm familiar with the picture with the blocks. <laughs> and my, my favorite version of that picture is the one where they take the the fence down where they don't give blocks they don't give blocks to anyone they remove the systemic problem that causes the issue in the first place sorry i'm over here because my phone is dying okay uh did you did you get that last part that i was saying i did so, like yes we could give you a block and you could then be tall enough to look over the fence but wouldn't it be better if we just removed the fence so that you didn't, you could yeah. just exist as a human and not need some sort of structural problem. And I, you know, I like that version of the drawing, but like, once again, how do we get there? Um, and so that's, I think the, the, the challenge. And so, you know, let's go to the last question here. Uh, why should we care about Mirabelle Bertrand. Um, I don't know. I think you should care about everyone. And I have perspective on things and ideas and beliefs, and I think they're important. And I agree with you. And I think that, uh, once again, um, you're 17, 18, yep. 17? I'm 17. So, you know, you're 17 years old. You're You've got a lot of life in front of you. Um, and I think that your perspective and your knowledge and your desire and passion to do good is going to benefit the world. Hopefully. That's right. the plan. And so, you know, to your point, if 
if it's one person at a time, it's one person at a time. And if we can come out of this and say like, all right, I may have failed five times, but I succeeded twice. Yep. Like that's a, that's a good enough average for me, right? I'm good. So uh, any last words, thoughts, ideas? Um, no, <laughs> I guess not. I think we covered. Was this as painful as you thought it was going to be? No. Oh, good. I'll tell everyone else. All right. Well, hopefully they're listening. Hopefully they've made it this far in and they're oh, still. That's so embarrassing. I hate my voice. Well, don't worry. You cut out a bunch of times. It... <laughs> Are you serious? The beginning was a little rough, but I repeated what you said. Hopefully people are willing to go with it. Um, oh. But no, I think it, it was fine. Uh, so thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate uh, your conversation. I appreciate yours, Mr.